Daily Dan. Parlay Pete. I, I love it so much. And you know my um that's how I know that it's a good nickname because a lot of people that follow us on Instagram or like if I put it on my story as like the mock draft guy, uh, they, they, they'll like reply to it and be like, wow, that is a great nickname. And I know that they can give two shits less about like what I'm doing in my personal life, like stuff like this. They're, they're terrible supporters, but yeah, that's, I'm calling them out right out of the gate, right out of the gate. I'm calling people out. You know, it's been that type of week, Dan, but, um, how you doing? How's everything going on your end over there and uh, wherever you live? <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good wherever I live. Um, I can't complain. It's a fun time of year. Yeah, How are absolutely. things for you? Uh, you know, this, this past week was, was a, a little bit rough. It was a test on, the, uh, test on the patients, not only, you know, from a family standpoint, but, you know, just the whole co-op situation and everything. A lot of, a lot of behind-the-scenes work, so... This week was a little bit challenging, but hopefully the hardest part is behind us. And, uh, you know, that's pretty much all I could say on that. But I apologize that this episode is coming out a day later. My aunt did, unfortunately, pass away this past weekend. So we had to take an extra day just because the wake was yesterday when we usually record. And I also worked overnight. It was just a, a cavalcade of catastrophes uh, back to back to back. But... Uh, yeah, you know, this we're recording this on Monday. So the best part about this is that we get to really, really react to basically the entire slate of week three games. But I mean, there's a ton of things I want to talk about. Not only this, but, you know, both of our finally, Dan, you got a, you got a lock of the week to finally go for you. I'm very happy. Finally, for you. right? Finally. I know it sounds like we're in like week 15 and you're an 0 for 14, but so you got one to go. Since, um, we, didn't, since we didn't post my week one lock. I know we talked about it here. Anybody who's listening and listened to that episode knows it, but since we didn't post it, do we have to count it? Can I just say I'm one and one? No, absolutely. We have to count it. No, stop that. <laughs> All right. One and two. The next week I'll get back to 500. And the only reason why I'm, I'm saying that is because I started off a week late and I'm two and oh so far. So I automatically have like, well, I don't know. I guess it'll count as a one and a half game lead instead of two, right? Because you you have one more game over me or something like that. I forget how that stuff works, but yeah, I think that would be a one and a half game. Yeah. So, I mean, I can take, I need all the help that I can get. So starting off two and O and my two locks being the jets and the Falcons back to back weeks. I, I think I, I think I have to go with a little bit of a safer pick in week in week four, because I I've been a little risque the last couple of weeks, but before we get into that stuff, there's a couple other things that we wanted to talk about that uh, swept the new, the sports world by storm, I guess you want to say. The first thing that we have to mention is Big Albert hitting number 700. And not only 700, but 699 and 700 in the same game. Yeah, it's, it reminded me a lot of, uh, I think David Ortiz did that, not for not for 700 or anything, but I think he hit 499 and 500 in the same game. I guess once you, once you hit one, you know, you're in a groove and you can hit another. It was pretty cool that he did it in Dodger Stadium, which at least he has some connection to. He played yeah. there for a bit last year. Uh, the fans love him there, although wh- where do they not love him? Um, but no, Albert Pujols, 700. He's only the fourth player to do it. Uh, he's the first since Barry Bonds in 2004. Uh, so we able to have a little bit of history this week that really neither of us have seen or remembered. I, um, you know, it, it took a while. He He's 42 years old, allegedly. Uh, he he hit 500, I think, eight years ago now. Okay, but um, you know he, he he's 
you can't complain with the production he's putting up this year. He looks like he's turned back the clock a little bit. Yeah, it's funny to to see the St. Louis Cardinals not only have a 42-year-old Albert Bulos have 21 home runs and hitting very, very well this year considering he's 42, having a basically 40-year-old battery mate between Yadier Molina and, and Adam Wainwright as basically three of their main producers. I mean, Yadi has really taken a step back this year, but Wayno has still been great this year. And and then, I mean, you really can't argue with the production that you're getting from out of pools at age 42. But there was a couple of interesting things I saw. Um, one thing that I thought, and this is just a, a testament to how good of a person Albert Poulos is, not only on the field, who's one of the greatest of all time, but off the field as well, is he didn't want the 700 home run ball. He said, you know, that the 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 balls are for the fans, you know, the, the souvenirs are for the fans. And I thought that was amazing. I still think that that person should do the right thing and come forward and, and give him 700 ball because for, I mean, I don't know off the top of my head how many players have played in an MLB game, but it's something... It's something like 23,000 players or something like that. I, I yeah. could be lowballing that. But four players have hit 700 home runs. You know, out of how many? I, we can't even calculate what a, what, what a, a hundredth of a percentage that is off the top of our heads. It, it's an incredible accomplishment that I feel like is sort of kind of... I feel like the when it actually happened, it was a little underwhelming, the reaction. I know that the whole sports world was you know, super excited for Albert. He's one of the good guys in not only baseball, but just sports in general. I, I thought it was, maybe it's because it was a, a West Coast game and it happened a little bit later that maybe maybe it was a little underwhelming. But uh, regardless, I saw a crazy stat that it was like Albert Pujols' average home run trot in his career is 26 seconds. So he spent over five hours of his life rounding the bases. I thought that was something, that was really funny too. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the Cardinals reaction was a very Cardinals reaction. You know, the Cardinals are, uh, are I don't want to say boring, but they're a very subdued organization, and they did mm -hmm. not they definitely didn't go crazy in the dugout when he hit that. But um, I, I think part of it is he didn't have much of a buildup. Obviously, we've, we've been talking about seven hundred for Albert for a while. I think as a, as you know, baseball fans, uh, but six six ninety nine and seven hundred on the same night kind of took away a little bit of the suspense. You only had. Uh, it was back to back at bats, actually. So it was it was about forty five minutes between six ninety nine and seven hundred. Uh, so that takes a little bit away. Um, but you know, sports move at at uh, rapid pace at this time of year, and the fact that baseball is even getting involved in the headlines is very good uh, yeah. for two reasons: for Pujols and for Aaron Judge getting involved in the headlines. Uh, but you know, you're right. I mean, no matter what, no matter how much attention it gets, or or you know what kind of news it makes. That 700 number is going to stand there forever. Everybody, anytime a home run chase go, even goes into that territory, which is pretty rare, uh, you know, it's going to it's going to continue to be pretty rare no matter what. Uh, Albert Pujols' name is going to be up there as one of the four to ever hit 700. That's the reason why we keep hearing Babe Ruth's name in 2022. Why we hear uh, Hank Aaron's name, obviously Barry Bonds. These numbers last a lifetime. So. He, he's up there. He's cemented his place among that uh, among the best home run hitters in baseball history. You know, maybe this is controversial. Maybe it's not. I do think that this achievement for Albert, and just in general, I think this is the most impressive 700 achievement we've seen because Babe Ruth was essentially not to not to discredit anyone because regardless of what era you play in, that's it's difficult to hit 700 of anything. Is, is difficult. So let's just preface that by, by saying that. 
But, you know, Pay Ruth basically hit 713 of his home runs against, you know, hot dog vendors, essentially. Uh, you know, ba- Barry Bonds has an asterisk next to his name. Hank Aaron played in what? 26 seasons, 25 seasons he played in, you know, or 24. I'm sorry, because he made 25 all-star games in 24 seasons because a couple of years they had two, which I don't know why, but whatever. Who else so, getting close to 24 seasons? <laughs> yeah, he's up to 22 now. I think this was the most impressive because you look at the, you look at the error of pit, not only, you know, the modern baseball is the hardest baseball that has come about yet. I mean, as, as the game progresses, the game gets harder, especially for hitters. Yeah. I mean, we've seen that they're banning the shift because that's, that's how difficult it's becoming for them. The pitchers have the utmost advantage in my opinion at this point, but you know, you look at the errors that he's done it through and the, the, the pitchers that he's hit home runs against multiple home runs against. I think this is one of, if not the most incredible achievement in, in baseball history, maybe besides for pitching a perfect game. But if you think about it, it's even more, 700 is more rare than a perfect game. But that's that's a one-game thing, and this is over a career, I understand. But I, I, I just think that it's, I don't want to say it's not getting enough media talk, because it, it most certainly is. But I feel like we, we don't really grasp the concept of how big of an achievement that is, and especially for someone like Albert, who has been an incredible ambassador for the game since he stepped foot on the field. Uh, you know, I, I just think that it needs a little bit more love. Yeah, I think I'm with you. And, you know, the, he's he's I, I, I'm very happy, though, that he's having such a good season in his final yeah. year. I think if he came back and hit, I mean, even if he got to 700, which probably wouldn't be possible if he wasn't. Uh, if, well. he really, if he but, really mazed it, I would feel a little bit weird where yeah, like the last if, four years of really mazed if, career, he was right. hitting like 160. Yeah, no, if he was hitting like 205 with the Cardinals this year, it would be a nice thing. Um, but it, it wouldn't really be sustainable and it would probably be hurting the Cardinals. Uh, the fact that he's having such a solid year uh, really rounds out his career. And it not that he wasn't going to be beloved in St. Louis anyway, but he's, I mean, he's an icon now. After this yeah. season, you know, willingly coming back to St. Louis uh, and and having this kind of season, helping them win it win the division because they're about to win the division. Yeah. Um. And then and then who knows how far we'll go in the postseason? And maybe he'll hit a postseason home run that everybody will remember. Um. I you know he's he cemented himself uh, officially as an icon in St. Louis, and yeah, you know, I'm sure you know he's got. Even though this is going to be the end of his career, and 700 is probably the last big moment of his career unless something happens in the postseason. Uh, he's going to have his number retired in St. Louis. He's going to enter the Hall of Fame. We know we know the exact day he's going to enter the Hall of Fame because he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, so he, you know, he's. I feel like it, it deserves a lot more attention. But like I said, he'll get the attention when his name keeps popping up in these conversations for decades to come. Because if you put yourself on top of these prestigious leaderboards anywhere in baseball, your name never goes away. They're going to hear. They're going to be hearing about you for generations and generations, just like we're still hearing about Babe Ruth. So. Uh, you know, a huge, huge accomplishment for Albert Pujols. Not something that I think we'll see for a very long time. I don't think we'll see another 700 home run hitter for ever. Who knows? <laughs> Nobody active right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it is an incredible achievement. And I was looking at my phone because I, 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 this is relevant to this. And this is the last thing I'll say. How utterly egregious this statement is that this. Hi, Tinsley. Ah, it's my dog. Uh, <laughs> how egregious this statement is, but so 
like two years ago, I made a video on YouTube stating my greatest baseball players of all time in every position, minus the pitching position. I wanted to follow it up, but I never did, or I didn't get to it yet. Uh, and I had Albert Pujols basically. I mean, like, it's tough. It's kind of like an Alex Rodriguez situation at shortstop and third base, where it's like, you know, I, where do you really put him? But I had Albert Pujols as the greatest first baseman of all time, and that got a lot of heat. And someone two weeks ago commented on, yep, yep, that's how that's how great my videos are, that people are still commenting on them two, two, two years after they were posted. But he said, Albert Pujols over Stan Musial and Lou Gehrig. You can tell how old this guy is, by the way. And he goes, not a chance in hell. So I said, I, I guess I was just having a rough day. I was like, nah, it's my video. So Albert Pujols is, is, is number one. So he, and I said, Pujols did it in the 2000s, a.k.a. the best pitching op- opposition. So, yeah, he gets my vote. Sorry, pal. And he said, which is egregious. He says, I don't care if he played against robots over Stan Musial and Lou Gehrig. Not in a million years. He's lucky to be in the top 100. Stan Musial and Lou Gehrig are both top 10 players of all time. Let's make it make sense. So... I didn't even respond because that was the stupidest statement I've ever heard in my life. Albert Pujols not being a top 100 player in baseball history was is the is the most crazy statement ever, especially and it 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 makes it even worse of a take now after he hit 700 too and he's having a, a good season. I know that this was in the midst of his season that this man said this, but like, I mean, this guy has to be like he has to be like on blood thinners or he's got to be like 98 years old or. or something it took him it also took him a week to respond to that first comment so i'm assuming that he doesn't log on to his computer he, he was just trying to figure out how to respond yeah i mean and it, well, it says edited when you when you edit a comment him. that you already posted it says edited across it so it, it, he it must have edited it like 70 times that's why it took him two years to get to the to the video i mean like that was just an, a, a crazy thing to say but i thought it was relevant to what we were talking I, about i, I yeah. think if he was i think if robots were pitching to him he'd, he'd be number one i mean that's yeah. the, you know robot pitchers. Now that would change. That would change. <laughs> yeah, no, right. But, why would you even say? Why would you even say that? But <laughs> but look at the errors. You know he has done across different errors. He started in the steroid era, never tested positives, and well, first of all, you know never tested positive, never was suspected of steroids, and after they started testing, he was the exact same hitter. They started yeah. testing in two thousand four. He was the exact same hitter. Anything he was better after that. From 2004 to 2011, as he was from 01 to 03, that that's 11 year stretch from 01 to 2011. Uh, you could make the case that that's the best in baseball history, especially when you count that they started testing for steroids right in the middle of it, and he just kept producing at the same yeah. exact level. You know, for that reason, that that puts him right in that conversation. Yeah, and um, it's just an incredible achievement. Pujols has had not only one of the greatest careers in baseball history, but accolade wise. I mean, his, his CV is unmatched. I mean, if you, I don't have it in front of me, but if you, I had it in the video, but it's, it's updated since then, but uh, it's an incredible, it's an incredible list. And I, I I dare you to find someone who basically rivals it. It's up there with Hank Aaron. It's up there with Barry Bonds. It's up there with the best of the best. So uh, very, very happy for Albert. Uh, uh, You know, I, I hope that they make a nice deep run. I, I would like to see, you know, um, Albert extend his career a little bit more, you know, you hate to see these icons go, but uh, that was probably the biggest sports story of the week. I would say just from sheer achievement standpoint, but um, yeah, this next one, I'm not going to lie. You're more of the NBA guy than I am. I mean, I'm, I, 
I know about it. I read about it. I read your posts because you know I have your I've I have your posts on notifications all the time. So you. You, know, you drive me crazy through uh you, you know any kind of free agency is <laughs> you're just it's a mess on my phone. But <laughs> but I I would like let you take the reins on this one because I do know the situation. I just don't know all the facts. And uh, I'm going to grab my coffee that's right over there. So go ahead, Dan. Gotcha. All right, everybody. I'm gonna I'm gonna take you down this road now. Uh, so for those who don't know. Uh, the Celtics suspended their head coach, Ime Udoka, uh, for the entire 2022-2023 season um, for what they called a violation of, of organizational guidelines, which is uh, was a nice way of, of covering the fact that he allegedly, or I, actually, I would say admittedly, based on what he said, uh, had an improper relationship with, a proper and intimate relationship with a Celtics uh, staffer, female Celtics employee, um, obviously that that does violate uh, Celtics guidelines. I mean, any any workforce is going to prevent you from dating your subordinate, and of course, it's also an affair. He's uh, Ime Udoka is engaged. Um, Not anymore. But I think there's a little more to it. <laughs> I, it's it's basically been proven that there's a little more to it. What came out um, already is that he allegedly made unwarranted or unsolicited comments toward the female staffer or a female staffer. I, I don't even know if it's the same one. Um, I, I still think there's a little more to it that we don't know. He's got that uh, dog in him. So, so Matt Barnes, <laughs> I don't know if you know Matt Barnes, but the former NBA player, Matt Barnes, uh, he's now, he's, he's basically working in the media and he put out a statement um, the night that Ime Udoka was suspended saying like, oh, they overdid it. This is too much for an affair, basically. Um, and I think everybody would agree with that, you know, suspending a coach for an entire season, which simply doesn't happen um, over, over, a, over a consensual affair. It's got to be something much deeper than this. Well, so, it, so, yeah. so the next day, Matt Barnes put up a new video and he said, look, uh, I'm, I'm a member of the media now. I, I need to deal <laughs> okay. with facts. I, I have to, you know, I have to have everybody trust me. Um, and I took down that video because I've talked to more people and I've realized that the situation is a hundred times worse uh, than we thought. Now, he wouldn't, he said there are some things he can't condone, whatever Oof. that means. Uh, so he wouldn't say what it was, but it's obviously that there's something significant for, for a coach who took the team, took the Celtics, uh, turned them around midseason last year, took them to the NBA finals is viewed as one of the, the, rising coaches in the NBA to be suspended for a season, let alone 15 games, 10 games or something like that, the entire season. Um, and then there's no guarantee they'll keep him after that. Uh, something significant had to happen. And what's, what's very interesting about this, and you know, I, I don't know if it's worth speculating. I have my own thoughts. Um, but you know, he must have done something very wrong, but not, le- not illegal. Because if it was illegal, one, he'd be fired. Yeah, uh, and two, he'd be he'd be in that process, and there's no there's that's not happening as far as we know. Um, and if it was, I don't think he'd still be uh, employed with the Celtics. So he did something worse than the consensual affair with the staffer, which which is against team rules, but you know isn't the the end of the world. Uh, but something better than illegal, and whatever that is, we don't know for sure. But it, it's it's something that looks like it, it probably ended his tenure in Boston. Yeah, it. <sighs> It's so unfortunate to see things like that. I mean, from like a from like a, a fan standpoint, like you know, this guy in his first year as a head coach just took this team to the NBA Finals. Future looks so bright, you know. And then and then you get something like I said from a fan standpoint as unfortunate as this. But Adoka is his own man, you know. 
You got to own up to your own mistakes. I, I do think that on the surface level, when I saw you first post that, I was like, wow, a whole season, you know, for this, I'm like, that's pretty, that, that's honestly crazy. But it, it, I, the, my first thought was it has to go much, much deeper than this. Uh, and clearly it is. So it's going to be interesting to see how the details kind of slowly trickle out. Um, it's nice to see that the NBA takes suspensions more seriously than the, the NFL. <laughs> well, but, I would say it's the Celtics giving him the suspension, which I think is yeah. one of the. Well, I mean, t- team wise in general, yeah, it's nice to yeah. see that. Which I, I, guess I think is one of the, the wildest parts of that because you're right. Like in the NFL, would you see? I understand maybe the situation hasn't popped up with a head coach, but would could you see an NFL team suspending their own coach for a season? No, the it, first thing that they would say is, "Well, it's pending investigations." Yeah, so. well, right. Uh, and then, you know, you we, know we, we're handling it internally. Yeah, that's the, that's my favorite. We're handling it internally means right. we spoke to both people. We paid off one of them. We slapped the coach on the wrist, and they're going to get back out there and coach the team. And we talked <laughs> but, about this when Aaron Donald swung his helmet at two Bengals yeah. players and hit them with it, and that the Rams said they were they were handling it internally, which we know is nothing. Yeah, it's exactly what you described. It's telling him, "Hey, don't do that," or we're we're going to have a problem because then we're going to have to. They're going to suspend you next time. Yeah, you know, I, in the NFL, the only the only instance. Similar to this in recent memory, uh, is Sean Payton being suspended for a year? But that was the NFL's doing. I, I can't imagine the Saints coming out uh, and suspending Sean Payton themselves for violating the team rules. I, I just can't see that. The Celtics came out and did it themselves. I don't know if the NBA has any jurisdiction over over whatever. We don't even know what he did. So you know, we can't even say really. That's that's what I'm saying. Um, it's got to be something. It, it's got to be something literally shocking. Yeah, like, it, it's something. But but the, the amazing thing is, it's it's, it's got to be something not shocking enough that it gets him fired right away. Yeah. They, they, they know, the Celtics know that whatever he did is probably going to come out. I mean, obviously, half of it's come out already. Yeah. But they know that whatever he did is going to come out and they're comfortable still employing him no matter what it is. Just not just with a significant punishment and he may be fired. I think he probably will, but um, you know, they haven't done it yet. So I mean, you know, the weird, that's just the crazy part is that it's something that doesn't cross every line, but it crosses a certain line. And we don't yeah. really, we don't totally know what it is. I also think from this standpoint, uh, a good on the Celtics organization for kind of taking the reins and, and, and handling it as I guess you'd say professionally as possible, whatever it is, they're making him pay for his mistake. And not only that, you have to think that if they're suspending him for the season, they're going to do a thorough investigation on this. And if it is something that warrants a firing, they're going to fire him as well. So I, I feel like good on the Celtics organization for not letting him, not handling it internally and, you know, letting him go out there and coach and be with the team and all this kind of stuff. And then they pull him aside one day and they're like, yo, this was crazy. You're fired. You know what I mean? Like, like you are a hundred percent fired. You keep him suspended. Don't let him anywhere near the team. You know, make your decision. Worst, you know, best case scenario, he's suspended for the entire season. He comes back, comes back, comes back next year. And then worst case scenario, you know, it's something completely insane and it's going to be a PR nightmare and you're just going to have to let the guy go regardless of the success he had in, in year one. So uh, I, I, I think, I think it's, it, it's something certainly juicy to like, you know, the, the, the scandalous, the, um, you know, mischievous side of me is, is it kind of weirdly excited to see what exactly he did to warrant this kind of reaction. But 
uh, I hope it's not something too crazy where it's like, oh, now that's disturbing, you know. You want to hear why I think they might have only suspended him? Go for it, Daily Dan. Because maybe, if it's not, if it's something not awful, the Red Sox made that mistake with Alex Cora. Mm-hmm. Well, at least in their minds, it was a mistake. So, you know, he was, uh, he was facing uh, severe discipline from Major League Baseball uh, for, because of the Astros scandal. Um, and the Red Sox fired him. They fired him the day after the, the report came out, and the Astros fired A.J. Hinch uh, and GM Jeff Luno. Um, so they fired Alex Cora. He ended up being suspended a year. They waited to suspend him because they needed to investigate the Red Sox first. He got a one-year suspension, uh, but they had already fired him. They had moved on. Um, and then at the end of the season, after they made Ron Renneke the, the permanent manager, they didn't give him the interim tag. They made him full-time. They fired Ron Renneke, and they rehired Alex Cora. Now, it was it was a different GM. So Heim Bloom came in and made that made his own decision. It's like a Vince um, McMahon-esque heel turn right there. They, no, they, they quite literally fired him and hired him in the same year. And so, you know, if the Celtics have a little – I think they're leaving the door open where if they have a change of heart uh, – they don't have to do that embarrassing, you know, flip flop and say like, oh, either, you know, either we hire him or some other team hires him when it turns out it's not that bad. And then they get to benefit from it. Yeah, it makes you look incompetent as an organization. Right. Right. They're saying, let's hold on to this. And, you know, if if the options aren't there in a year and we don't know, you know, if if Joe Mazzula, who's the interim coach, is a disaster or something, we'll just we'll go back to uh, Ime Udoka. Uh, So, yeah, I think the Alex Cora situation might have, just because it's in the same city and it's pretty I was going to say it, it helps that it's in the same city yeah, too. It, it may have influenced them because the Red Sox, if they could redo it, they would have never gone through that whole charade of firing and rehiring. They would have just left the suspension and let it go. So that was something that came to mind, but only time will tell. We'll, we'll, we'll meet back here when, uh, when we actually find out the full uh, details of whatever he did. I'm extremely excited for that. Let's, um, let's shift gears here. So we got a lot to talk about. In terms of the NFL, now Dan and I have spoke off camera about this. We are making improvements week by week. Uh, we also have said that we think that we have gotten through the NFL recaps a lot faster. I know that it's only been two weeks, but if you look at week one and week two, I think week two was significantly uh, more engaging and, and more fast paced than week one. So we will continue to try and get better in terms of that. But uh, this week, certainly. Yeah, we, we will talk about the uh, locks of the week, Daily Dan, Parlay Pete, all that good garbage. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll talk about the pick'em as well. We'll go down the pick'em slate like we did last week. But I got to be honest with you, the one o'clock slate, Dan, was uh, just full of garbage for me. I, I got off to a, a, a hot week. You know, we, we could mention this game first since it was on Thursday Night Football. The Browns and the Steelers, uh, you know, The Browns won that football game the exact way I thought that they were going to win that football game. The the Steelers, dating back from the beginning of last year, the Steelers have had the 32nd ranked run defense in the NFL. They have been melted Swiss cheese when it comes to any against any kind of backfield, really. And you know, they rode Kareem Hunt, they rode Nick Chubb, who's looked fantastic so far this year. What does Nick Chubb have, like, five touchdowns already through three games? He's, he's got, like, what, 300-yard rushing games? He's yeah. playing out of his mind. He's been fantastic. And Kareem Hunt, they, they continue to show why they are the best one-two punch in the backfield in the NFL. And I think we have to really – there's two things, two takeaways from this game, that if Jacoby Brissett continues to play 
first off, the Browns are just one absolute collapse away, an onside kick recovery away from being 3-0 right now. I think that's significant, especially with Jacoby Brissett being quarterback. Jacoby Brissett, Brissett has done a fantastic job up until this point as the step-in quarterback. And three, it's time for Kenny Pickett already in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I, I say the only thing that surprised me from that game was how well Jacoby Brissett played. Uh, him and Amari Cooper already have this great connection. That's so huge for this Browns team. I don't know if they would have won without it. I mean, just because it, it was not a two-score game until that last lateral play. It was yeah. a very close game. Uh, the Jacoby Brissett to Amari Cooper connection is huge for this team. I think it's two back-to-back 100-yard games for Cooper. Uh, so I give Jacoby Brissett credit. I tweeted the other day that, um, you know, games like this, can keep you in the NFL as a backup for years. Somebody Absolutely. like Jacoby Brissett. Look at Chase Daniel, who who almost started that game for the Chargers yesterday. His whole career is basically built off of a couple games here and there where he he looked not so bad. Jacoby Brissett uh, is is proving he's among the the upper echelon of of NFL backups. Uh, but yes, I think I think the the story for me out of that game uh, was Mitchell Trubisky, and not for good reasons. I, I personally think that the the Steelers are looking like they were wrong to ever even trust Trubisky. I mean, look at this. Jacoby Brissett signed for less money, uh, only one year. He signed a, a week after or maybe at the end of the week that that Trubisky signed with the Steelers, uh, and he's better than him. The Browns have two, <laughs> two quarterbacks that are better than Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky is the fifth, fifth or sixth best quarterback in the division, uh, depending on what you think of Tyler Huntley, who I, I probably Ooh, take I think is pretty team. solid. I take him over Trubisky. Oh yeah. Um, yes, I, I think it's it's getting close to Kenny Pickett time. I was looking into Trubisky's contract a little bit. So he's due one million um, if he hits sixty percent of snaps, and he's due four million more if he hits seventy percent of snaps. Yeah, there's absolutely no shot that, that he's hitting either of and those numbers. You can't let him get too close either, because yeah. if Pickett gets hurt in week fourteen, he's going to hit it like that. Now you you're paying him another five million. Uh, so. And they I, see Mason I, I, Rudolph on the sideline just warming up that uh, that old I, right. You shoulder. actually might in that case. That's why they maybe that's why they kept him around. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I think we may be a week or two away from seeing the Steelers have to make that change. It's kind of unfamiliar territory for Mike Tomlin. He's, these aren't questions he's had to face before, at least not with. Uh, I mean, he might have had to face them with Devlin Hodges and Mason Rudolph, but not with a, a legitimate duck out of this. <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's it's something he's new to. But, yeah, another week of this, and he's going to have to adjust. If they lose to the Jets. If they lose to the Jets, it's the over Jets for home, Trubisky. <laughs> it's over. It's over for Trubisky, and it might be over for the team. Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not that is win. something I'm I'm really looking forward to see. To I, I, see. I'm, I'm debating on picking the Jets. If they were at home, I am. if they I were am. at home, I'd take them. I'm I don't care. On the road. I don't care. I don't but care. I think, I'm going to take them. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm undecided. I'll leave it at that. I'm not a big believer in these Steelers. Um, Jets, don't, Jets don't really give me a lot of reason to believe either. But well, yeah. They, 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 <laughs> defense, the defense looked a little bit competent at times on Sunday. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yes. So um, I started the week off 1-0. You did as well, right? Yes, I did. Yep. Luckily. And it's all downhill from here afterwards. Um, Pretty so much. Next- except, except for this, what I think is our next game. So the next game that I have on the on the slate here is the, I mean, the hot garbage matchup of the week on paper, and that's the Houston Texans and the Chicago Bears. And if you would have told me through two weeks that the Chicago Bears were two and one with Justin Fields completing 
maybe 30 passes throughout the entire season to this point, I would have thought that you're crazy. I am going to, you know, I don't know how the Chicago Bears have won these two games, but I'm calling absolute bullshit. Justin Fields could not hit the bright side of a barn if his absolute life depended on it. He is, without a shadow of a doubt, the worst starting quarterback. I would take Mitchell Trubisky over Justin Fields right now. At eight days a week, I would take him. Justin Fields is horrendous, and I've I've tried to give him opportunities. I, I really thought that the organization failed him in the offseason. Maybe the organization is already priming other parts of their roster for the inevitable exit of Justin Fields because the man just sucks. It's it's just, That's all I could say. He is just garbage. I don't know how he's led them to two victories, but I'm going to say that I hope that these are the last, the, the last two victories that they have this season because they have looked horrendous on every level, especially on the offensive side of the ball, and they somehow have two wins. Yeah, so, you know, I, I ranked the Bears uh, 32nd coming into the season. Um, and so, naturally, I, I had somebody in my DMs today. Uh, oh, two bragging. and one. Two and one. What yeah, up? Yeah, bragging about, about two and one. And I said, you know, he said, you only had them winning three games total. That's the problem. Forget the teams they beat. You only had them winning three games. They are, they're already at two after three weeks. And I said, well, good thing they're 18 weeks. Um, but what it, my, question, <laughs> my question to this person was, have they played better than you expected so far? He Please wouldn't answer. And he said yes. He kept saying they're playing better than you and the rest of the media thought. I don't really think consider myself the media. Um, but anyway, I asked him three times, are they playing better than you expected? And he wouldn't answer that. That's what he kept saying. Um, he a said, win's a win, bro. A win's all, a win. All he said is that after three weeks, I had them two and one. I don't believe that. I don't, I don't even believe, I don't the believe most that for a second. Would have had them beating the 49ers. Um, I said, listen, sometimes in the NFL, the ball bounces your way or the rain drops because that's what, what happened in week one, the rain bounced their way. Um, he said, so I said, would I be lucky enough to hear where you thought they'd be after 17 games? No, no answer. Because if, if this person came back at me and said four and 13, you know, I'd say, all right, we're not that far apart. And they, this person knows that if he said seven and 10, he'd probably be wrong because this does not look like a team that's going to win seven games. I think Justin Fields, uh, I think you're right. I, I do think they failed him. And we, this is something we talked about on maybe our first episode or second about how bad. And third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh. <laughs> about how bad of a situation they put him in. Um, but the real talented quarterback shined through eventually. It's not shining through. And yeah, I'll horrible, say, horrible. You, said, you said you don't know how he's led them to two wins. The answer is he, he hasn't. The Texans <laughs> run defense was the star of this game for the wrong reasons. They were the biggest the biggest factor in this game. David Montgomery got hurt. It didn't matter. The Bears ran for almost 300 yards. Khalil Herbert ran for, I think, 157 and two touchdowns on 17 carries. Yikes. That's it. And the, the Texans run defense did the same. They, they let Jonathan Taylor run for about 150, and they let Javante Williams average about five yards a carry in week two. So this, this coming week, if Austin Eckler – and Sony Michelle don't produce against the Texans. I don't. I don't know what to say. Austin Eckler's been a really, really big disappointment this year. But yeah, it's, but this is the perfect scenario with, with them needing to take some pressure off Herbert. They've got the Texans coming up with this god awful run defense. Something's got to give. Yeah, the, the yeah. Texans are are a whole nother world of. This is why I picked the Bears because the Texans are just completely 
uh, absent of talent. They've got no talent on the defense. Yeah. It, it, they've got a long ways to go. So I mean, I, I have picked every single game against the Chicago Bears this season so far. Uh, so I started off the week one and one because I picked the Texans. And I will continue to pick against the Chicago Bears until something is done at the quarterback position because, like you said, talent shines through. Am I saying that Justin Fields has no talent? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying <laughs> because he is hot garbage. I don't care who is out there at wide receiver. Have you seen him try and throw the ball to an open receiver? Have you my, seen it? My my favorite stat, I tweeted this out the other day. If I don't know why it didn't get him, it didn't get much love. It was a very it was a great stat. Uh, this was like in the third quarter, maybe late third quarter. Justin Fields had completed five passes. Um one to each receiver. So he, you know, every Bears receiver that caught a ball had one, one catch. Uh Jalen Petrie of the Texans, the, the safety, rookie safety, had two mm-hmm. interceptions. He caught more passes from Justin Fields than any Bears receiver in the first, <laughs> uh, I think, three quarters. And if you saw the first interception, too, to Jalen Petrie, awful. It, it was. It looked like he was throwing to his teammate. It was bad. Oh, my God. It's so just, they, I mean, this was, yeah. the fact that there was 43 combined points in this shit storm of a matchup is is. Pretty Again, Texans run defense, and then yeah. those fields interceptions yeah. helped set up the Texans. But the Texans run defense is is abysmal. That's the new Steelers run defense. Well, when you have Malik Collins and you have Ray Lopez as your two starting inside defensive tackles, yeah, I could probably even squeeze out fifty rushing yards in a game against against those guys. But so yeah, unfortunately, I did pick the wrong team. But honestly, if you would have told me the outcome of this game, I would have still picked the Texans. I don't even care. That's how much I I dislike the Chicago Bears. And I can't wait. By the way, this is something so salty as a Jet fan. I cannot wait until whatever week that they're playing each other because I hope the Jets drop 50 on on the Chicago Bears to shut up this. Yeah, they play them this year. I I think it's later on in the year. Oh, that's going to be ugly. Yeah, and I, I honestly hope that Zach Wilson just comes out and throws five touchdowns and and we just have the end of that horrific Justin Fields versus Zach Wilson discussion. Anyway, moving on to the next game that's on that's on the slate, we have the disappointing another two disappointing teams, the Las Vegas Raiders and the Tennessee Titans. Uh, I picked. I'll come out and say I picked the Raiders. I thought that they were zero two. They know that they're in desperation mode already at this point in the season. They needed a victory to even stay relevant in the AFC West who also has unper- underperformed throughout three weeks this year is the entire the entire AFC West, but we'll get into that later on. And the Tennessee Titans, another team that kind of lacks an, an identity on offense. You know, you want to run the you want to run the offense through Derrick Henry. It didn't really look as apparent the first two weeks. Um, so I definitely thought that the Raiders were going to come out and kind of punch the Tennessee Titans in the mouth, but they punched like Ben Askren. And they fell flat on their face in this one. Yeah, I, I thought they were going to win because I, I just thought they were the better team. I mean, the Titans looked – We, me and you were both very low on the Titans this year. Yeah. Um, and the Bills embarrassed them. And, you know, I don't know if this is to the Titans' credit or, or just something we should blame the Raiders for. But the offense, the Titans' offense looked great early in the game. Derrick Henry uh, was putting together his best performance of the season. Ryan Tannehill looked really good. Yeah. Um, they They – the Raiders made them them look like the Titans that just won the AFC South and were the number one seed last year. Um, yeah, the, the Raiders 
listen, I, I do think they, they put it together at some point. Not Probably not a playoff team. It's just very tough being 0-3. Um, and have they even played anybody in their own division yet? Oh, they played the Chargers. So they got they have five games left in their division. Um, it's going to be a tough road to try to get into the playoffs. I do think they'll put it together. They put, put up almost 400 yards on the Titans. Uh, what they really couldn't do was finish out drives. I know Derek Carr had a really – a uh, tough interception in the end zone by Kevin Byard. They ended up having to settle for a field goal in certain situations. They seem like they're close, and we know they almost beat the Cardinals before they utterly collapsed. Yeah. So they're close, but it's getting it's getting a little too late for them. It. Let me read this to you real quick. So you know me, I live a double life. I'm the co-host of the uh, the ASN podcast, and I run a full blown YouTube channel on the other side. So I'm looking for. Inspiration for my newest uh, draft order for this upcoming week because I do a, a mock for YouTube every single week. So Bleacher Report so kindly sent me a notification saying this is the updated 2023 NFL draft order if the draft was tomorrow. Okay. Clicked on the article. Looked at it. Want to hear what the top 10 is? Go for it. The Las Vegas Raiders have the number one overall pick. Followed by the Houston Texans, Seattle Seahawks, Atlanta Falcons, Los Angeles Chargers, Arizona Cardinals, Philadelphia Eagles by way of New Orleans Saints, the Miami Dolphins by the way of the San Francisco 49ers, Carolina Panthers, and the Tennessee Titans. So, yeah, so far these two teams have underperformed greatly. I think it is time to hit the panic button. Another thing as well. The targets are there for Devontae Adams. They are not getting him the football. I mean, week one was great. I mean, he had like nine catches, what, 130, 140 yards, and a touchdown. It looked like, oh, same old Devontae Adams. Derek Carr is struggling to get him the football, and it's not even because they're double teaming him. You look at the targets. I think he got 10 targets, 50% um, catch rate. That's terrible. And then in, I'm pretty sure in week two, he had like two catches for 12 yards, but he had like nine targets. They're just not on the same page right now. I'm assuming, I mean, Devontae Adams is a top three receiver in the NFL. I'm sure they'll get on the same page. But this is sort of kind of feeling to me already like the decline of DeAndre Hopkins in Arizona, where it was like, yeah, for that one year, he was still one of the best receivers in football. Then he slowly but surely declined. And now you don't even hear about DeAndre Hopkins because, you know, he's suspended. But it seems like everyone kind of forgot about him already. You know, so I, I don't want that to be the case, but Devontae Adams was going to be the focal point essentially of this offense, and he has been a letdown so far, and so is Derek Carr. You know, he's looked pretty terrible at times this year so far. Yeah, he had he had three interceptions, I, I think, either two or three interceptions in week one, and he had a bad interception to Kevin Byard um on Sunday. You know, these are things that can't happen. And there are things that really weren't happening last year. He he generally took care of the football down the stretch when they were winning those games. Um, you know, obviously Derek Carr is imperfect, but he's not supposed to be this this turnover machine who can't finish drives. Um, he usually plays his best late in games too. And that's the the strange part is while they, they did score a touchdown late in the game on Sunday and they they nearly beat him, they nearly tied him with the two point conversion. You know, he played so poorly. Uh, down the stretch in in the game against the Cardinals, and they they couldn't close the deal down the stretch against the Chargers. Uh, he he needs to play better late in games, but it looks like this Josh McDaniels offense just hasn't fully clicked yet. Yeah, you know D- Derek Carr doesn't look too comfortable 
Uh, Josh Jacobs has played well, but then he doesn't get the ball down the stretch. You know, so you, you start seeing Derek Carr struggling late in games and Josh Jacobs running the ball well. I, I think Josh McDaniels might want to start considering running the ball a little more later in the games. That that seems to be the, the big complaint from Raiders fans is that Josh Jacobs is playing well when he gets the ball and he's not getting the ball enough. Um, but I, I, I agree with you. I think the biggest thing is you got to find a way to get the ball to your best receiver. You gave up yeah. all that for Devontae Adams. You gave him that $150 million contract, whatever it was. You got you to find a way to get the ball to him. They're throwing to him. Yeah. The problem is him catching, you know, getting, getting the ball to him in the right spot. So Listen, it might sound crazy, but 16 catches through three weeks for Devontae Adams, you got to get him the football. You have to figure out ways to get him the football because while he's not the fastest receiver in the NFL, Still incredibly creative after the catch. So, you know, I think Josh McDaniels just has to kind of buckle down. I mean, 0-3, your goose is pretty much cooked already. I mean, you know, you hate to say it, but I think something like 2.5% of teams in NFL history that have been 0-3 have made the playoffs. I'm not saying it's impossible, but in the hardest division in football and, you know, seemingly looking like a mess everywhere on the field, it's not looking good. And on the, the Titan side, I don't really have too much to say. I, I mean, they just still look bad to me. Like, they just, they don't, they, I, I don't know. Robert Woods is the leading receiver. Traylon Burks is an afterthought so far. I just think that this team is going to be miles better once Ryan Tannehill is really sort of kind of like an afterthought. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think the AFC South games. Uh, interdivision games are going to determine that, that, like more than any other division, going to determine that division. When you know Titans, what? The Jacksonville Jaguars are taking it. They they might be. They might be when they when the Titans play the Jaguars, it's going to be critically important. When the Colts play the Titans, it's going to be extremely important. All these teams are going to be eight and eight, nine and seven. It looks like besides Houston, the Jaguars look like they're going to be in that conversation. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, I think that leads us right into our next game, which was. Um, according to, to my followers, the biggest upset of the week because only 6% of people picked the Colts to beat the Chiefs. It's even bigger on here. Uh, the Chiefs were picked 97% of the time. Yeah. So the Col- that is the by far the biggest upset of the week on, on Pick'em. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Out of all the games, I mean, obviously I, I was also busy with other things this weekend as well, but this was the game that I kind of caught up the least amount because I just assumed once Travis Kelsey scored like the first touchdown, I was like, all right, here we go. Chiefs are going to chief. You know, they can't stop Travis Kelsey. You know, everyone was looking pretty decent on offense. And then the, they, the, the Colts defense finally kind of sort of lived up to the expectations that we had for them going into this year. I mean, you know, you add guys like Yannick Ngankwe, you add, uh, Stefan Gilmore, guys like that, and we still don't even have Shaq Leonard back yet. I'm pretty sure, right? He didn't, he hasn't played. Yeah. This is this is really encouraging to see from the Indianapolis Colts, and it, not only that, it's encouraging to see from Matt Ryan putting up a, a you know a, a game winning performance. Not, I mean, he the the difference between last week and this week was a, a 180 degree turn. I mean, Matt Ryan, while he wasn't perfect. Still went out there against a tough Chiefs defense and played pretty well and inevitably won them the football game with his arm. And that is probably the toughest game, you know, 
for them to win early on in the season. Oh, you know, oh one and one, you know, against a two and oh Chiefs team that's firing on all cylinders on the offensive side of the ball. It, it was going to be tough, and uh, you gotta you gotta give credit to Frank Reich. You gotta give credit to you know Matt Ryan. They got the job done. It wasn't pretty. It was pretty ugly. But they got the job done, and and this is a win that could propel this team in, in a wide-open AFC South. This is a, a win that could propel them to, you know, getting a couple wins, you know, back-to-back-to-back, stringing along a couple Ws, because that's what good teams do. You take momentum like this, and you you turn it into more wins. And I think the Colts are a good team. I think they got off to a bad start. But maybe we'll start seeing more of what, what we thought the Colts were going to be like after this. Yeah, I mean, this is even even if the, the Colts aren't what they want to look like yet, you know, even if, if everything isn't clicking, this is huge for the standings. I mean, we talked about how close that AFC South is going to be, and you may not even need 10 wins to win it. So no. getting a win that you're not supposed to get is massive. <laughs> I mean, th- this is a game where everybody, I mean, clearly everybody, 94% of people marked it down as a loss for the Colts. If When you can win one of those games, it's massive for the standings and for your expectations. Um, the offense still looks bad. I mean, yeah. it, it legitimately did not look good. Um, the, their first touchdown was scored right after uh, Sky Moore uh, fumbled, a, I think, a, a punt a punt return. It, it went through his arms, and the Colts were able to get it a few yards from the end zone. So that the first touchdown really wasn't even on the offense. Um, but I do think, while the jury's still out on the Matt Ryan experiment in Indianapolis, uh, this game was why you got him, because they had eight minutes – to drive down the field uh, and score a touchdown to take a lead. They needed a touchdown. They were down four. And he got them down the field very methodically. Uh, they, they didn't even have to rely on Jonathan Taylor that much. He didn't have a great game. The Chiefs defense is solid. Yeah. Uh, but Matt Ryan got them down the field slowly but surely. And most importantly, I, I don't know if this is intentional or, or just the product of a, a slow Colts offense, they didn't leave the Chiefs much time. You know, if, you, if you go down in six minutes and leave the Chiefs two minutes to get a field goal. You're losing that game. They're not, they're not only getting a field goal, they're going to go down the field and score a touchdown. Yeah. But they put the Chiefs in this high-pressure situation, 24 seconds or whatever it was, uh, and Mahomes is intercepted. So, you know, the defense won this game. I mean, the defense, the fact that they held down Mahomes uh, for so much of this game and kept that offense in check is super, super impressive, especially without Shaq Leonard, who may be just one week away from coming back, um, if you want even more reason to believe in the Colts. Uh, you know, there, there are offensive issues to figure out, but you, you take this win after what happened in, with Jacksonville last week, yeah. 24-0, you take this win and you go. I don't know who they play next. I don't care. You, you just celebrate this win and you move on. Yeah, you ride the defense. I mean, the offense is going to – Matt Ryan is a former MVP. He's going to figure it out. You know, he, he, he is a great football player, and he's got great football players around him as well. Once that offense starts clicking – I really think the Colts are a type of team that are really going to start getting that Mount Everest type of momentum where it's like it's relentless, where on the offensive side of the ball they could score, and then defensively they could hold you every single time. I mean, we saw holding uh, a team like the Chiefs who, I mean, they didn't blow the Chargers out of the water, but they completely made mincemeat out of the, the, the Cardinals' defense. You know, that was a tough matchup, and, and they, they only gave up 17 points. Hats off to them. The Chiefs, I mean. I can't really say much about them. I, I thought, you know, they they just looked a little clunky on offense, but they looked great through two weeks. You know, you're bound to have a, a game like this where I honestly thought after three weeks that they were going to be two and one anyway. So they're right where I thought they were going to be. I thought they were going to lose to the Chargers instead. But, you know, either way, 
I, I, I don't really see this being a setback at all for the Kansas City Chiefs, especially since three teams in the AFC West lost, and then one was the ugliest win I've ever seen in NFL history. So, you know, you kind of just go, all right, you know, we'll get them next week. That's basically what I think the Chiefs are going to do with this one. There's nothing you could really do about that. The next one, the next game on this slate is the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins. Now, I, I, of course, I said this last week, hindsight is twenty twenty. But, Dan, once you posted that Micah Hyde was not only going to be out for the game but out for the season, I really, really considered picking the Miami Dolphins because I was like, you know what? They're hot. They're hot on offense. They look good. They're confident. But I said, it's Josh. Hats off to the Miami Dolphins. Now, granted, this Buffalo Bills team is dealing with some injuries right now, you know, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But you got to credit the Miami Dolphins defense. They held what? Uh, they held Stephon Diggs, who was had two monster weeks in the NFL through the first two weeks. They held him in check. You know, they, they, tr they made other people try and beat them. I thought they did a fantastic job. And this kind of begs the question, Dan. Are the Miami Dolphins legit? Are they a legitimate contender in the AFC? I was I was pretty high on them coming into the year, thinking they were they were a legitimate playoff team. I, I didn't think that this is what they'd be. And you know, we'll be careful not not overreacting to a three and zero start because we've. I mean, look, last week I had somebody on Twitter, and you know, it's I don't even it's a little crazy, but it wasn't even that crazy asking if the who's going to beat the Bills? Like, are they going to go undefeated? To which I said, no, there's too much parity in the NFL. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that shows you how quickly these things change. Um, but the, the Dolphins are are serious right now. They're very serious. And the biggest reason, of course, is Tua. I mean, he looks I, I was thinking today the first two years of his career were mostly uh, him having to listen to people say that he wasn't the guy, you know, that not only people like on, you know, random guys on Twitter saying like, Oh, I don't think two is a franchise quarterback. Apparently Brian Flores didn't really believe in him very much. And he let and he let him know about that too. Um, Brian Flores also remember he, in 2020 to his rookie season, he would pull him at the end of games and throw Ryan Fitzpatrick in there when it mattered. Um, and then even this off season, he had to hear about how the dolphins were trying to get Tom Brady behind the scenes. I think right now, but these that that game against the Dolph against the Ravens, he pushed all that out of the system. It's all about football now. He's not thinking about am I going to be replaced? Is this my team? He knows it's his team, and he's playing like he's the two that we saw in Alabama. I think everything's changed with his mentality, and of course, it helps having Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. But that wasn't even it uh, in this Bills yeah. game. They didn't dominate like they dominated the Ravens. Although Jalen Waddle again looked very good. Uh, this was a, a total team effort. You've got to give credit to the defense for helping shut down the Bills. Um, the big the big concern with the Bills, like you mentioned, is that secondary. Jordan Poyer is out. Uh, Micah Hyde's out. They 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 lost another cornerback, a rookie corner, uh, to a hand injury. They're very thin in the secondary. But what they did, holding the Bills to what was it to nineteen points? Yeah, um, seventeen offensive points, considering the safety. That's very impressive. I, I mentioned week one, and it's, it didn't really show in week two against the Ravens. Well, I mean, the Bills didn't really force that safety. The ass of someone forced that safety. I, so. think, it been, I think it might have been intentional. If you think about it, it was a very good play to put them to pin them, Yeah. Uh, even though it brought them within a field goal. But 
the the job that this defense did to to keep Josh Allen on his toes and to to really limit this offense, like you mentioned, shut down Stephon Diggs, credit to Xavier Howard. Uh, that is the difference with this yeah. team. I think you got Tua, and you've got this defense that's proven it can it can compete with some of the AFC's best. It's not dominant, but we saw you know we we saw them slip up against yeah. the Ravens, even though they played very well down the stretch to keep Lamar Jackson in check when that comeback was happening. Uh, the defense isn't totally proven, but it looked like it can compete against some of the AFC's best teams this week. So that's that's the key here. You've got Tua looking confident. We know yeah. the receivers are great, and this defense continues to play better. As long as that's true, I, I see no reason why they can't compete with the very best in the AFC. They're that good. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to agree with you on that. Uh, I, I'm also a guy who has not been a big believer in Tua you know, so far throughout his career. But, you know, when you get the guy weapons like that, not only, you know, there are guys that we didn't even mention. Chase Edmonds had two touchdowns. He was huge as well. Mike Gusecki, Cedric Wilson. You know, they have a much improved offensive line as well. They have a, a very, very talented team. And, and why not? If they just carry that why not mentality with them, you know, why not us? You know, it could take you a long way. And you already see Tyreek Hill's pumped about next week's matchup against the, the Cincinnati Bengals. That's a potential firework show waiting to happen. It's going to be really, really exciting to see. And this Dolphins team slowly but surely is becoming must-see TV. I, I would like to see some of these games flex to 425 so they're not playing, you know. I mean, <laughs> I watched the Jets at 1 o'clock score 12 points. I'd much rather, honestly, watch the Miami Dolphins play offense. That's just me, but... You know, kind of similar situation. Uh, if you're the Buffalo Bills, you pick yourself up, dust yourself off. You say, hey, we were a little bit better clock management, basically away from winning that football game. So you kind of just take your licks and you, ju you just go out and get the next one. Same kind of thing with the Chiefs, honestly, in my opinion there. Uh, I, I'm curious to see what your reaction is on the next game. The Detroit Lions and the Minnesota Vikings. Now I'll go out and say I did pick the Detroit Lions again. I picked the Vikings. Um, no. it, it was very close for me. And picking the, 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 the Minnesota no, it, Vikings. It was a close one for me. But look, I, I think these two teams are going to split the season series this year. Uh, Minnesota's at home. So that's simple. Yeah. I think the Lions will beat them on the road. Uh, I mean, at home, just like they did last year for their first win. Yeah. I, you know, this game just continues to uh, confirm my belief that the Detroit Lions are a conformable football team now. They're going to be in pretty much every single football game that they play in. Last year, besides for that one, I mean, maybe that, what, week two blowout loss against um, Green Bay on Monday Night Football and then the destruction by the Philadelphia Eagles, they were in pretty much every single football game. And they were a significantly less talented team then. Dan Campbell really has these guys believing. And not only that, I want to mention to give a shout to Jeff Okuda because he looked terrible so far in his career up until now. He's finally healthy and he has shut down three number one receivers in his first three weeks. He held Justin Jefferson to what three catches for 14 yards this yeah, week. It was even, yeah, he, he had like half of what he had against Darius Slay. It made Darius Slay look like he gave up a big performance. Yeah. So, I mean, that's incredible, incredible play to get from someone who's finally living. I mean, third overall pick as a cornerback. Those are some lofty expectations. So he's, you know, he's finally living up to it. He's looked phenomenal through three weeks. 
these are all positives for the Detroit Lions. And and honestly, even though the Minnesota Vikings come away with this win, you can't really feel that great about this win. I mean, it took a wide open KJ Osborne with less than a minute left to win this football game. I mean, granted, at the end of the day, a win is a win. I guess you could say they were without Harrison Smith as well. That's a big piece in their secondary. But I don't know. This Minnesota Vikings team, after week one, they looked like they were going to come out and like gangbusters and just win the division and shock everyone. Now they kind of just look like the same old Vikings from last year. Yeah, I, I thought maybe under a new coaching staff they'd be different. But in week two, uh, it's the same Vikings that we saw. They're, they're consistently inconsistent. I mean, they yeah. really are a completely different team every week. Uh, and this week was somewhere in the middle. I mean, Kirk Cousins played very well down the stretch. Uh, we know that that pass was wide open, but um, he hey, avoided he's still turnovers. Make it. <laughs> he avoided. Well, credit to him for for making it, and he he avoided turnovers late in the game. Um, you know, he he did he did lead them back when it didn't look like they could be led back. Um, yeah, the, the the Lions are a legitimate team. I think they're a, a middle of the pack team, which which for them for their standards, for them, that's where Super they were Bowl championship at right the there. start of last year. I mean, that's. Yeah, that's a that's a huge win for them. Um, it is unfortunate. Like you know, we talked about the Colts. Like, hey, forget the game; you got the win. Uh, this is this is one where the the Lions would probably like to just have that win, and you know, forget all this progress that you know that people are saying. I think they're ready to just get in the win column, uh, and they were so close to doing it that it, it's got to be a little disheartening for them. Um, I think they had a couple setbacks too. I think DeAndre Swift might miss a week or two. That they said. Yeah. Um, they lost safety, uh, one of their safeties, Tracy Walker, for the season mm-hmm. to a tort Achilles. Uh, so that's tough. You mentioned Jeff Okuda is is turning that defense around. And credit to, to Aaron Glenn, who's their defensive coordinator. Uh, he was an NFL defensive back. So you know he's got a, a personal hand in helping Jeff Okuda uh, become the player that he is today. Aaron Glenn is somebody who's probably going to be a head coach another year or two. Um, the Lions are they're, they're close, and the unfortunate thing is they the Vikings only led for a minute of this game. Yeah, you you really can't lose those games. So they've got they, they've got the talent. They're coming along. I know some Lions fans had issues with the coaching down the stretch. It's part of the learning process. They're learning how to win. Um, you know, maybe in another month or two, this is a game they would have actually held on in the final minute to win. Um, I like what I see from them. Yeah, the Vikings. I don't know, undetermined. I mean, yeah. they, they, they really still are that team that comes out looking different every week. It, it doesn't matter who they play next week. We don't know who, what they're going to come out looking like. It, it's just they play up to competition. They play down to competition. Uh, to me, it seems like, you know, if seven teams are making the playoffs out of the NFC, it seems like they're going to be one of them. I think yeah. they're talented enough. Uh, is it, But if they go 9-8 and eight or 10-7 and seven and are a first-round exit, is that really reaching your full potential? I don't know. It's probably something they wouldn't be happy with. So they got some work to do. Yeah. But, but yeah, like we said with the Colts, a win's a win. It, it's going to help big time in the standings, especially if the Lions are a team that you're competing with for a wild yeah. card spot. So, you know, it, it's big. Yeah, I, I mean, I looking just from the Lions' perspective, you know, now you're proven. You prove that you could stay in these games. This isn't. Uh, hey, well, you know, we went out like last year. Last year it was a lot of. Hey, well, you know, we went out there, we tried, and we darn tootin' gave our best. We gave our best effort. We put our best foot forward, and we lost, but we got better. No, now you are ready to win. So this is probably the last. This is this is the last game in my book that I'll let slide. Going, oh, you know, well, you know, they're still learning. You look like a competent football team through three weeks. You got to close out these wins. But regardless, I think the Lions played well. Like you said, the Vikings 
are an undetermined football team right now. And that's okay. Through three weeks, you know, that's still very, very early on in the season. So uh, I'm not going to worry about that as much yet. The next game on this slate here was the Baltimore Ravens and the New England Patriots. And the week. Yeah, Daily Dan's lock of the week, baby. Congratulations on that first dub. Uh, the two and a half line was was very nice. I would have taken if I didn't take the Falcons. I was going to think about taking this. This was probably the other game that I was I was considering. But you know, I, despite this game being thirty seven to twenty six, I don't I don't really have too many takeaways from this. The New England Patriots are just kind of a team that we both kind of thought they were going to be that, you know, they're, they're not really that great. And Mac Jones really isn't that great. And he might be out for a little bit too. I mean, he, do you see how hard he was screaming in pain? I thought he like lost his foot I mean, the way that he was screaming in pain. And then they told us it was like a high ankle sprain. And I was like, Oh, Oh boy. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's not discrediting anything. If I took a sack in the NFL, I'd probably be down on the floor for nine hours before yeah, I even woke up. But- yeah, I'd still be down now. I would be, Dan, I can't do the episode. I'm still down on the field. But uh Lamar Jackson continues to play really, really good football. Uh his deep ball accuracy is something I'm a little worried about. But other than that, I think that the Baltimore Ravens look pretty solid. Defensively, they looked a little bit better. They forced some turnovers as well. Uh if this was a, a nice bounce back game for Kyle Hamilton. He did not look good against the Miami Dolphins. But he bounced back. He had a forced fumble. He had a lot of tackles as well. I think that he played pretty well. And, um, you know, you just you take the victory. This is not an easy victory. This was in Gillette State. This was in Gillette Stadium as well. So this is not an easy victory. Regardless of how, how talented or not talented the New England Patriots are, a Bill Belichick-led team at home is very, very tough to beat. So I think you you take this as a, as a huge positive if you're the Baltimore Ravens. And, and you know, now you have... You're tied for a sole possession of first place in the AFC North, and I think that's how you kind of have to look at it. Yeah, I'm with you. I think this game didn't give us too many surprises, maybe a little more offense than we thought. I mean, I thought Mac Jones had some moments. The Patriots offense had some moments. um, And then, of course, there were bad moments that prevented them from winning, uh, like the the interceptions. Um, But, you know, the Ravens, uh, like you mentioned, the Ravens got some of their key guys – uh, making plays. Marlon Humphrey had an end zone interception. Mm-hmm. Marcus Williams had a, a, a key fumble recovery. I forget if he's the one who forced it. It's been fantastic so far. Yeah, no, he's been a, a huge addition, and that's exactly what they need. They're, you know, even if they're they're giving up some yards, um, if if they can if they can get those turnovers, you know, start playing like they did a few years ago and get those turnovers and flip the field, uh, that's huge. Yeah, the, the Patriots like they are they are what we thought they were pretty much, but now you have Mac Jones out. Probably Ryan Hoyer, week. baby. It looks like it. It looks like we're going to have Ryan Hoyer against Aaron Rodgers next week. Not that we really, not that I don't think either of us thought the Patriots could win. I'm, no, game. I'm taking New England now. <laughs> it's all right, over. All right, write that down. Everybody <laughs> heard that, right? Okay. So when he says next week that he picked the, the Packers, you'll remember that. Now, I don't know. I don't know who they play in week five, but it probably won't make much of a difference next week, although they, they would obviously would have had a little bit of a better shot with Mac Jones. Uh, but if you start one and three or one and four, you know we're we're kind of talking like we were talking about the Raiders. Like you, you've you've dug your own grave here. I mean, yeah, you're you're done at that point. One and three, maybe you can get out of. Are they talented enough to? No, probably not. One and four, even if you are talented enough to dig out of that, it, it's very very tough. 
on not that I'd put it past Bill Belichick, but I, I just don't think they have the talent on either side of the ball to do that. So yeah, yeah, I mean that's why I picked the Ravens uh, minus two and a half, even in Gillette. I just felt like they were the talent gap was so significant, and Lamar Absolutely. Jackson, Lamar Jackson was so far ahead of Mac Jones. He looks like an MVP candidate right now. That they were they were a pretty easy pick for me. So the, the Patriots made it interesting, but. Um, that win would have helped a lot because now it looks like they're going to be without their quarterback for at least a couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, one thing I will say, a positive from the Patriots that we didn't see last year, that we're seeing this year, is that the wide receivers are playing a lot better. And we didn't think that we were going to see that because their wide receiver core really isn't that great. But, um, you know, Jacoby Myers has played well. Nelson Aguilar has played very well. Uh, Devontae Adams. Uh, Devontae Adams. Devontae Parker finally woke up. Um, so that was nice to see as well. I guess if you want to take some positives, you could take a positive like that away. But um, speaking of taking away positives, I am sick of taking away positives from every Jets loss. You know what? You know what I'm going to say about this? I did pick the Cincinnati Bengals and I didn't even give it a second thought. You know why? Because number one, Joe Burrow was not going to let the Cincinnati Bengals go 0-3. And this, the Jets literally just fell perfectly into a scenario where they were like, oh, great tune-up game. Two things. The Jets are poorly coached and they do not defend their home turf at all. Every time that the Jets are home, it's an automatic win for the other team. It's an auto it, it, it it's what when was the last time that they won convincingly at home? Are we talking about like in 2015? Was it, the last was the time Mike that they White won? game convincing for you? Yeah, I no, not really. It no. wasn't. No, it wasn't convincing because they only won by what? One score? Yeah, then I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. But that's what they did. Where, not where did they beat the Texans? Was that in Houston last year? I, uh, I think it was in Houston. Because that was a pretty solid win, but I think that was on the road. I, I think that was on. Yeah. So, so, it so was are you saying they're gonna, right. maybe, the, maybe they can beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh? Well, I already think that they're going to beat the Steelers, especially if Mitch Trubisky is quarterback. Listen, actually, I forgot one point. Joe Burrow was on pace to be sacked like 111 times this season. Now, obviously that is a number that is that that, that's not going to happen. That's not going to be reached. They're not going to let their quarterback be sacked 111 times. The jets made the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line look like the greatest unit in NFL history. I mean, there was just no pressure on Joe Burrow and Joe Burrow is a, a type of guy at this point through all the sacks that he's taken this year and the sacks that he's taken previously and his knee injury, he's a little gun shy when he, he kind of Tom Brady's it. He kind of just falls to the ground when the pressure comes to him. Now that's smart from his perspective, but I, I mean, it is, that's how Tom Brady has been able to play until his age 76 season. But you know, just this, I'm tired of Robert Sala going, Oh, I'm 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 keeping those CVS size receipts. No, you're not scaring anyone. Just go out and win football games. That is all we're asking for. I'm not asking for this rough and tumble. Yeah, you know, we're going to go in there and we're going to shock you because we suck, but we could win a couple games. That's the kind of mentality that it seems like where it's like, you know, don't don't underestimate us because we're bound to win two or three games throughout the season that we probably shouldn't win. And they already have one with, with the, I mean, they're one miraculous comeback away from being 0-3. And and having no hope whatsoever. Now, granted, in the first quarter and some of the second quarter, I will say that the Jets did keep this close and they did look kind of sort of decent. But 
I, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in a quarter and a half of good football. I want to see four quarters of good football. And I'm just getting so tired of every week trying to look for positives. I'm looking for no positives this week. Fuck the Jets. <laughs> I, I do think the, the defense had some moments that kept them in the game. Fuck the defense. Um, this is a good it, – it is still a good Bengals offense. Uh, so I give him a little credit for that. Um, but, you know, I, I thought it was I thought it was kind of arrogant when, when Robert Sala came out after that week one loss and said, like, oh, I'm keeping the receipts. These are not the same Jets. And it's kind of something I wanted to talk about on here. And then they won. They went and beat the Browns. And I said, all right, all right, he's got a believer in me now. Um, but, yeah, the Jets are not that team yet. I mean, it's hard to hear Robert Sala come out and act like – you know, if Dan Campbell came out and said that about the Lions, I'll take it. But the Jets are not the Lions. They're not They're not that competent of a football team. and They're not moving in the same direction as the Lions right now, at least not as quickly. Um, other than that, no, I don't, I don't have that many takeaways. I think Garrett Wilson played well again, <laughs> uh, especially for, for Joe Flacco being under center. South Gardner played well, too. South Gardner played well. He had one he had, he had one issue. I forget who he was covering at the time. Uh, he, had, he had one kind of long coverage. But other than that, he played well. Um, I, I do think the Jets are going to play competitively against the, the Steelers next week. Uh, Zach Wilson, by by all accounts, is going to be back, which is good, no matter whether he's good or not. We, you got to see him. So it's good yeah. to at least we can get a glimpse of whether he's the guy or not. Um, and then the, the, for the, um, the Bengals, I, I think they've – it was, like I said last week, the perfect opportunity to get back on track. Joe Burrow was not going to let them go 0-3. They're too talented to go 0-3. Uh, and I think that game against the Dolphins is going to be very competitive. They're actually favored. They're favored by three and a half, which, you know, if you're a big Dolphins believer, uh, that's could be some free money there. But obviously the, the Bengals are still a, a real solid team. They've got a, they've got a very good defense. Um from top to bottom, I think that that's going to be a great Thursday night matchup. We'll know we'll we'll know a lot more about the Bengals after that game if they yeah. get torched by the Dolphins, uh, or if the or if Joe Burrow, you know, throws some more interceptions. We'll have more questions. We've officially got a problem, but yeah, you know, if they go two and two, or you know, and while one and three is a problem, even if they get into like a shootout with the Dolphins, I'll say all right, they look okay. You know, there's still a shot to get the to get a wild card spot, but if they get if they get rocked. It's officially yeah. panic time, but it's not panic time. They look good this week. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna have to agree, and uh, I do have my big dick Joe hat on. So, <laughs> I mean, there's that next matchup. I just have one phrase, and you could react to this however you want. I'm not gonna say a single word after this. React to it however you wish, and you for the listeners at home in your car, stuck in traffic, whatever it may be. The Philadelphia Eagles are the best team in football right now. Well, technically, they are at three zero. They're they're either by the time anyone's listening to this. Nah, nah, nah. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about just record wise. They are the best team in football. Jalen Hurts is looking like the missing piece, right? That was what we talked about before the years. I had the Eagles pretty high. I had them winning the division while also not being a believer in Jalen Hurts, because that's how good this roster is, is that they could make him look better. Not that he, not that I thought he'd look tremendous, uh, but I thought he'd look better. And for all his flaws, the strength of the, of the roster would make up for it, and they could go 11-6 or whatever it was. Well, now Jalen Hurts looks like a legitimate franchise quarterback. I, I'm, I don't doubt that he's going to have a few games where he looks a little off. 
I, he was very inconsistent last year. I don't think that goes away in one year, but he looks like he belongs in this job. And when you look at the strength of the rest of the roster right now, they may be uh, the, the best team in the NFL. And what I was surprised to see is that they're apparently the new betting favorites for the NFC, even, even though it's like conventional wisdom. They're like, look, three and O team dominating everybody. Um, it's still kind of, kind of shocking to, to see them rise so quickly to the actual betting favorites to win the NFC. The Eagles are the best team in football. And the Washington commanders are not very good. No, Car- they are Carson not. Wentz might not be the guy. Uh, wow. What a surprise. Carson <laughs> Wentz might not be the guy. <laughs> the trust might not be the guy. Also, oh, I think that stadium based on what I saw on TV and all that and pictures, that stadium was mostly Eagles fans. Oh, yeah. The next field, Landover, Maryland. Not that Philadelphia is that far, but the Eagles have much more presence in the area than the the commanders do. It's the name change. But moving on to the next game, I'm not going to lie, pretty surprised. If you look at the offensive numbers for for the New Orleans Saints, you know, Olave, nine catches, like 147 yards. Jameis, over 300 passing yards. You would think, wow, you know, they probably put up like 30, 31 points, something like that. 14 points and a loss to the Carolina Panthers, who still didn't look good, by the way. This was as clunky as a victory. Oh, there were some clunkers this week, that's for sure. And this was one of them. This was a very clunky victory. It doesn't show me anything on the Carolina Panthers' side. It only confirms one thing, that they do have one of the best young defensive units in the NFL. Uh, that's probably it. Offensively, it's it's pretty inept. And the New Orleans Saints just completely are, are a lost football team. I don't know what to believe. You know, there are some there are weeks that they come out and they just look absolutely fantastic. And, and this is dating back to last year, too. There are some weeks that they come out, look fantastic. There are some weeks they come out and you're like, what the hell is going on here? And this was one of those, this was one of those weeks where it's just like, I, you know, I really don't know what to think. I think Alvin Kamara is slowly but surely kind of fading out of the top five. I mean, he wasn't in my top five this year of running backs, but I think he's slowly but surely just falling out of favor as, as one of the top young uh, running back weapons in the NFL. Uh, you know, Jameis just continues to prove that maybe he's not the long-term solution, despite what we thought early on in the season. Maybe, you know, with the way that he played last year, maybe, you know, he, he's living up to that number one overall potential. Um, just it, this game wrote, like, rose more questions for me than it answered any of my previous questions. I just have more questions and no answers for both of these teams. Yeah, the Saints are really disappointing to me. I, I thought they were a legitimate playoff team, and, and they might still be, because if you look at the Buccaneers game, they, they played very well defensively. They've got to get that offense on track. Um, and it was a similar deal this week, but you know, it happening two weeks in a row makes you a little more concerned about that offense. Um, yeah, they, they didn't finish drives. They they settled for a few they settled for two field goals that didn't go in. Well, I think one of them was blocked and another just missed. Uh, so it would have looked a little better if they had actually made those. Um, but yeah, the, the offense is a problem right now. They, they're supposed to have a strong running game. They don't. That's a big problem. So now what? You're going to put it all on Jameis Winston with f- four fractures in his back. Um, you know, Chris Olave is playing very well. The, the receiving core is very good, mm-hmm. but it's, it's just not enough. The offensive line isn't what it was in those last years under Drew, with Drew Brees under center. 
Uh, like I said, that running game is not going. So what do you have offensively? Uh, it's not enough right now. I, I, I do. I, I had higher expectations for Jameis, and he didn't play awfully this week, but the turnovers are a problem. He's probably not fully healthy. So they've got to get that under control. Uh, the Panthers? Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned last week that they weren't even winning the game, winning the ugly games. Oh, at least they won an ugly game. I mean, that's a step forward because they, they lost an ugly game to the Giants that they had every chance to win. So the fact that they pulled one out, I give them credit. I'm not a, I thought the Saints were definitely going to win this one. I'm not a believer in that rule, um, which kind of makes me even more concerned about the Saints, the fact that they lost it like they did. But uh, the, it's, it's a good step for the Panthers. Yeah, the offense – Still, it's still not good, and that's even more confusing because Matt Rule's an offensive coach. Um, if not for a huge play by Lavisca Chenault, I, I don't know. I, I, this offense would have had a, an awful day. But yeah, yeah, this Panthers defense is very exciting. I mean, they've got they've got so many guys now, um, and they they did such a great job shutting down the Saints. They they easily shut down the Giants. Of course, the offense didn't do enough to win them that game. Uh, they even did a pretty good job keeping the Browns in check, just not Nick Chubb, but keeping the passing game in check compared to the last two weeks. Uh, it looked pretty good what they did to what they how they limited Jacoby Brissett in that first week. So a lot to build on with the Panthers defense. Is the offense good enough and the coaching good enough for this to turn into a competitive season? No, I don't think so. That would surprise me. Uh, but there's a there's a core to build on here. So baby steps for the Carolina Panthers. All right. Right. But I'll tell you one one thing. Now, I mean, this might be just a week of crazy reactions, but speaking of the next game, I want to say that, you know, Justin Herbert hurt going into it. Keenan Allen out. I'll be honest with you. I don't even really think it mattered. I think that the Jacksonville Jaguars played an absolutely fantastic football game. They 100% deserve to be 2-1. and one. And they look extremely improved under Doug Peterson. I think that this, you know, you're seeing the very best that we've seen out of um, Trevor Lawrence so far. I think that this was a game that even, even, like I said, even if everyone was fully healthy, I think the Jaguars just had the Chargers number yesterday. And not only is their offense looking really, really good, but their defense is playing very well. I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about a team that just gave up. 10 points to the Chargers and the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, that regardless of who's playing or who's not playing, that's a great achievement in today's pass-happy NFL. So I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are a team that, if they continue to play like this, you know, week 13, week 14, we could still be talking about this team as, as a legit wild card option. You know, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Doug Peterson has done a fantastic job so far, and it's just it's a testament to how – good coaching really helps young players. And, you know, if you can get behind an ideology of, of, of a coach or, or play for something, it, it, it really lifts your spirits. And I think the Jacksonville Jaguars look fantastic so far through three weeks. I, I love this Doug Peterson fit more and more with each week. I mean, first of all, this says so much about Urban Meyer. The fact that Trevor Lawrence looked like maybe the worst quarterback in the NFL last year. He led the NFL in interceptions. Uh, and now he comes out looking like this. Under Doug Peterson, I, I don't know who that says more about, whether it's Doug Peterson or Urban Meyer, but obviously he went from the worst possible situation to a very good situation. Uh, the Christian Kirk signing is also working out too. They have a yeah great connection. Yeah, he's had he's had some great games so far. So you know credit to to Trent Balky or whoever's calling the shots in that front office because everybody doubted that signing. 
Um, yeah. But no, the, the Jaguars' offense and defense are both clicking right now. And in the AFC South, they might not necessarily need both of them to keep clicking. They might just need one yeah. to win some of those games. You look at the Colts, they just won a game with their defense um, over the Chiefs. So the, the Jaguars are, are definitely on the rise. I agree with you. They're, they're, uh, they're probably a playoff contender until further notice, especially in that division. Um, and it's funny, you know, people – People are such prisoners at the moment. When when Doug Peterson was hired, everybody was like, "Why aren't you hiring Byron Leftwich? Why are we hiring? Why yeah. are they going with another old white coach?" As if he didn't win a <laughs> Super Bowl with Nick Foles as his you know, Carson Wentz and Nick Foles as his quarterbacks, uh, not four years ago. Like this is some random retread. No, Doug Peterson's a great coach. He'd still be in Philadelphia if he didn't have a falling out with Harry Roseman. Uh, you know the fact that they were able to scoop him up and take advantage of of what was uh, low interest in him or not enough interest in him. Uh, was a, a big get for that front office. The Chargers have all kinds of issues. I mean, this is this is like kind of a tragic situation. What's going on with that roster? Uh, Joey Bosa's hurt uh, week to week, but he's hurt probably out for the foreseeable future. Um, who else we got? Uh, Jalen Guyton is out for the year. Rashawn Slater is out for the year. That's yeah. a, a massive. That's blow a huge loss yeah. for the offensive line. Corey Lindsley and J.C. Jackson didn't play this week. They're uncertain going forward. Uh, Keenan Allen hasn't played the last two weeks. Justin Herbert is going to be playing through pain for a little while. I feel like even then I'm still missing a couple of guys. They've got they've got a lot of issues, and some of them aren't going to be fixed. You know, you can get Keenan Allen back. You can get Joey Bosa healthy. Losing Rashawn Slater for the year, I'm not yes. really sure how you recover from that. Their, yeah. their, their new left tackle is Storm Norton, who started last year oh, and had a really, really rough year. So it, it's – it's it's a problem, and honestly, I think they beat the Texans next week. Mm-hmm. But it's in Houston it, against the Texans team that beat them last year. I'm afraid that it's going to be closer than a lot of people think because if you look at how torn down this roster is right now, uh, it, it's it's not it's just not a very good one. When you stand up the active players to the rest of the, uh, the rosters in the AFC, yeah, it, it it's unfortunate that the the injury bug just continues to bite this team every single year. It's it's almost incredible, honestly. But, you know, switching gears to really, well, it was my pick, my my lock of the week. It was, honestly, I don't really even want to talk about that. I mean, plus one, it's basically a pick at that point. But, you know, the, the Falcons and the Seahawks played a very, very enjoyable game for two dumpster fire organizations. I thought that it was it was, it was a great game. It really was. I think it was one of the more I'm in a week of ugly finals. Yeah. This was a, a very entertaining game between two teams that you really didn't expect it from. They had a lot of offense early on. It looked like it was going to be like that both teams were going to end up in the 30s. Uh, yeah, you know, it was like 17 17 it, it, in like the second quarter or something. Yeah. Um, I think the bit, you know, the biggest takeaway, I don't have many takeaways. We don't need to. These teams are probably both going five and 12 or whatever it is. <laughs> Maybe. But they, they finally figured out we need to throw to Kyle Pitts. Yeah. They threw to him, I think, the first two targets. He was targeted like six times in the first half, something like that. They, they threw to him a bunch. They figured out that it's best if they could get him involved in the offense. Um, and they, they still, I think, Drake London still had a touchdown. Cordell Patterson had a great uh, game on the ground. Uh, and Mariota looked fine. That's the recipe to winning for the Falcons. They don't have a very good defense, uh, even no. though it has some solid moments so far. You know, so that offense is going to have to get everybody involved and put their best foot forward. Uh, these are the kind of games they can win. They're probably, yeah. aside from maybe one or two upsets, they're probably not going to have uh, too many wins this season against good teams. 
So, you know, to go into Seattle, where even with a bad Seahawks team, it's still a very tough place to play. They're really loud there. Um, it's it's great to see them come away with a win. I think I think it's well deserved. Me and you kind of both agreed that yeah, you know, it seemed like kind of kind of justice that both of these teams came out of this week one and two. Seahawks didn't deserve to be two and one, and the Falcons didn't deserve to be zero and three. So that was one reason I I went with the Falcons. Um, and your your lock of the week. Yeah, I mean, just perfect. Yeah, it just it just like that's actually the exact reason why I picked it because they played so well against two good teams. That I was like, I I really do feel like they're going to beat the Seattle Seahawks team that at home is tough, but they don't compare to the Rams. They don't compare to the Saints as well. I you know so I I thought that that was an easy lock. So I am now two and zero in my lock of the week. Thank you very much. I'm going to try and go. Well, I have to go seventeen and zero. I can't go eighteen and zero because I missed the first week. I was late to the party. But Dan, I mean. The the last three games that we have to talk about, besides for the fact that it's just three nothing right now, I think it's three nothing, right? Or is I think it... it's three three now. I think the Giants tied it up. Yeah, so three three right now. The last three games, I mean, I'm I'm going to read you these scores and tell you exactly what I think of these three games. So fourteen to twelve, the Green Bay Packers beat the Tampa Bay Bucks. Twenty to twelve, the Rams beat the Cardinals, and then eleven to ten. The Broncos beat the 49ers. That is, these are the ugliest, by far the ugliest games of the week. I mean, we thought that New Orleans and Carolina was ugly. Green Bay and Tampa Bay, Green Bay and Tampa Bay did not live up to the expectations at all. I mean, granted, Tom Brady's 45. Aaron Rodgers didn't have any ayahuasca this week. Uh, you know, it. it they Same. both had. They both were missing a bunch of receivers. So yeah, it, we. What know, did we really expect shot. from that? What did we really expect from that? The, the Rams and the Cardinals. It was just, it was just boring. Like I, I flipped over to it a couple times, and every time that I flipped over to it, someone was punting. It was boring on that end as well. Uh, and I mean, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. At at this point, between the Broncos and the 49ers, I was at work. But we did have the game on You're the lucky. tablet while we were working. Oh. And I kept like going over every once in a while to check the score. And I'm like, wow, it's still 7-0, seven 7-3. Seven I'm like, 7-5. Seven five. Seven five. Like, what is going on here? I'm like, what is this? Yeah, it was, <laughs> it, it was just, I mean, these last three games were probably the three, three of the high, highly anticipated games of the week. And all three of them fell extremely short of expectations, but I, I did, I, I did go three and zero on them. I had the Packers, I had the Rams and I did have the, the Denver Broncos. So that rounded up my week sort of kind of nicely. Uh, I don't know about you. I know that you, you I, did pick I, the 49ers though, right? Yeah, I went pick the 49ers and you know, this goes against everything, everything we've talked about uh, on the show, but I did pick the Arizona Cardinals. Um, I, they beat them once last year. I thought that after they the Cardinals got themselves right against the Raiders, with Rams still looking a little shaky with Stafford's turnover issues, uh, I thought the Cardinals had a good chance to win at home. Yeah, Kyler Murray lets me down once again. Won't be the not the first time. Won't be the last time. I, I've learned from my mistakes picking them. Um, but yeah, that that game was pr- was pretty predictable. I mean, not predictable. Obviously, I predicted it wrong. Uh, but it was pretty pedestrian. You know, there's nothing <laughs> inter- really nothing interesting that happened in that game. Um, yeah, Packers, Bucks. You know, I, I continue to think that maybe this is just this is just what the Bucks offense is. I, I I know they didn't have Godwin and Evans, and I think they're going to be better with them. They have to mm-hmm. be. 
Uh, but I, I just, I don't know if this is, you know, I mentioned last week comparing Brady to like 2010 Brett Favre, where he might have played one one year too many. I don't know if this is going to be the year uh, for Brady that it was last year. I just don't know no. if he has it in him. It doesn't mean they can't win a lot of games. That defense is really good. And if they had Evans and Godwin or even one of them, they probably could have won that game. Um, they were very close to winning it regardless. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the Bucks. That's probably deserving. Uh, we talked about like justice with the Falcons, the Seahawks. Same thing with the Bucks. The Bucks should not have been three zero, and they're going to go play the Chiefs next week, and what should be a very interesting one. And while I'm yeah. probably going to pick the Chiefs, and I think the Chiefs are the better team, the way that they were shut down by the Colts defense this week makes me think we might have another defensive battle on our hands. Yeah, between Brady and Mahomes. I mean, it's kind of what it was in the Super Bowl especially on the on the Buccaneers' end, dominating defensively. Yeah. I kind of wonder if we're going to see something similar. It remains to be seen. It's going to be an interesting one. And naturally, of course, that game is going to be on prime time because the NFL is not prime time without Tom Brady. I mean, they're going to ride this poor bastard until he's like freaking 55 years old into the ground. But, yeah, I mean, maybe if I looked at this on paper at the beginning of the season, this would be a matchup to circle. Now I'm not as excited for it because the Bucks don't really look like the Bucks, and Tom Brady doesn't really look like Tom Brady. But you never know. I mean, we've said this the year that they won the Super Bowl, Tom Brady didn't really look like Tom Brady at times, and he went out and won the Super Bowl. So, you know, if there's anyone that can turn it around after three slow weeks, it is Tom Brady. But, you know, Dan, that was um, – I'd like to say that that was the shittiest week <laughs> of, of games so far. Not uh, we, much, had, we had we had firecrackers the, the first two weeks, and uh, we were bound to hit a lull. But I still think that there was some really good things to take away from this week. Um, you know, some high points, some low points for every single team. And um, hopefully the Giants pull out this victory against Dallas so I could beat you this week. That would be nice. Um, but, you know, I, I think that this was a very, very solid episode. I'm really happy that we – we took about 15 minutes to talk about Albert Pujols and, and you know, his achievements and everything and the, uh, you know, Adoka incident as well. And, and um, I, I look forward to really incorporating more of the all sports again into these episodes. So Daniel Tracy, Daily Dan, DT5000, thank you for having me on again. I really appreciate being your co-host. <laughs> Pete, I, I think I've you've earned your spot next week. I'm going to welcome you back on. Next I, week. I appreciate that. Thank you very does much. Does that make it 13 weeks in a row next 13 week? 13 weeks in a row. It's an unprecedented run of of, of guest co-hosting. Maybe we can make it to 15. Oh my God! Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves here, Dan. <laughs> no, but this, this was uh, this was great. I, yeah, you know, the the last two weeks we focused mainly on the on the NFL for two reasons. I mean, the first reason being. It was – they were two ridiculously good weeks. I mean, yeah. uh, of, of such incredible games. Uh, this week was more standard. And, you know, a standard week in the NFL still has a lot of excitement, a lot of action. Yeah. You know, the, even the, the butt punt by the Dolphins was, like, barely a mention here because there's still so much going on, even in, like, a pretty pedestrian week. Um, but we, there's all the, – the second reason being that there, there wasn't really that much going on um, outside of football and the sports world those two weeks. Uh, but this week we had some more going on with Pujols and Ime Udoka. We also have the Aaron Judge record chase. We talked about him last week. We'll probably talk about him next week, assuming he gets to that record by then or doesn't. It's probably worth talking about either way. Um, but, you know, this is the time of year that a lot of stuff's starting to pop up. Uh, the MLB postseason is going to be getting underway in, uh, I think, two weeks from Friday or 
well, no, one week from from this Friday. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot to talk about. We're looking forward to making sure we still cover every NFL game, but also incorporating everything else that's going on in the sports world because we know that uh, something pops up all the time. So that was, thank you guys for listening in.